Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins, powered by BetUS. All right, so before we get started, I think we'd be remiss if we did not congratulate the Boston Red Sox on getting to the ALCS. Both Greg and I are big baseball guys. Congratulations to the Red Sox. Greg, did you think there was any chance this team was going to make it this deep? Uh... Past the Yankees, yes. Uh, the Rays, I thought it was going to be a long series. I thought it was going to go down to it. Uh, but this is a, this is a team that before the season, I had to dig out my tweet, but I I said something. I think it was on opening day. I was like, I think there's, I think there's a little something to this team. Uh, you know, I was definitely ex- excited about this team. I, you know, I'm a big Alex Cora fan, so I think that. Uh, whatever the Patriot, the Patriots, whatever the Red Sox might not have on paper, I think that he can make up for it, sort of similar to Belichick. Um, I, I hold Alex Cora uh, in in that sort of level of of head coach. You know, I, I think that what he's done with the Red Sox in a short time, um, you know, tr- two trips, well, World Series title, now AC, ALCS, I think is uh, almost Belichickian, and so I, I was uh, I was high on them, not high, but I was I was expecting more than a lot of people were, and uh, you know, look, they stumbled down the stretch in the regular season, but I still thought that they were a good team, and I think that uh, I I think this is another this series with the Rays, Nick, is another example of Moneyball just doesn't work in the postseason. It works for it's designed by computer nerds over 162 games and it works for you but it's really hard to win uh it's really hard to win much in the postseason because it gets shrunken down and the smaller the series the tougher it is and I think the numbers go out the window and a guy like Alex Cora and when you when you pluck players that uh just know how to play our grinders are you know just gritty like the like the Red Sox do I think it's a good formula for success. I had them at 85 wins. I thought they'd win 85 games this year. Uh, Some people went after me for saying 85. They thought it wasn't going to be that high. Right. Uh, I was disappointed at the deadline. I didn't think they did enough. I I wanted another legitimate arm. I didn't love the Robles and the Davis additions. I liked Schwarber, but I just didn't know where you were going to play him. And I wanted them to go out and get Rizzo to have a legitimate, solidified first baseman. And on Twitter the other night, as soon as they won game four, my mea culpa to Bloom. Because, listen, 
you win, I lose, my man. I mean, you believe that Schwarber was going to be able to be fit in. They stood by Dalbic and ended up working out for them because he played so much better and hit so much better after the trading deadline. Robles yep. outside of the other night uh, when he was thrown up all over the place after making me throw up all over the place. He's been a really good addition the last few weeks. So I stand corrected. That's why High and Bloom makes millions of dollars to make these decisions. And I'm a schmuck who talks into a microphone. So, you know, I give him all the credit in the world. I'm obviously a Red Sox fan. It was my number one love. I'm pumped. If you get this far, you might as well win the whole damn thing. That's my adage. So let's see if they can make it through the Houston Astros. The Astros can hit the hell out of the baseball. We'll see what they can do. But just so many heroes. I mean, Garrett Whitlock, a Rule 5 guy, six out. <laughs> that was insane. The night. The night. I mean, come on. Six outs, 15 pitches. He goes out there with a man on second and no outs, and it's no big deal. And I just love his face. You know, it's like when he's out there on the mound, it's like he's just kind of, you know, indifferent to the whole thing. And then his absolute nails. I love it. It's like when Schwarber stands up at the dish like he's a, a beer soft, uh, you know, softball league guy. It's kind of with yep. the pack dangling with his belly out. And then, boom, all of a sudden could turn on a 97 and rip it. I mean, it's just it's a fun team to watch. And, you know, Alex Cora, not the biggest fan of him as far as X's and O's at times. But there's mm -hmm. absolutely no denying that guy's got some juju. He's got some mojo. He knows yep. how to get the best out of every single guy on his roster, and he does it. That's what he does. All right, let's get into the football. Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles, brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book for over 25 years. Greg, we're going to talk about this Houston Texans game. It was awful in the first half. It was better in the second half. I want to start with three things that you feel better or at least good about. Yeah, so let's just start with the passing offense in general, Nick. I did I did feel well, actually, let's make number one just the offense in general, because I think that I think that their performance has been sort of undersold. Uh, I think that uh I think that they were they were efficient. It wasn't perfect, and we know this, and we know the deal with the offensive line going in, and we'll get to those guys. But I mean, you're talking about an offense and they are going against the Texans. I understand. Um, okay. And, and I don't just look at, you know, who they're playing and they, you know, in the bottom line production, I look at other things like, you know, basically are they executing, are they executing get better? Because when things don't work in football, it's because the players are not executing. It's, you know, people love to talk about play calling and this and that, but they're just they're really, are they blocking the guy in front of them? Are they running the right route? Are they catching the ball? Is the quarterback making the right decision? So, look, the Patriots, um, you know, get the ball after the defense can never get off the field in the fir first quarter. Uh, they go 10 plays for a touchdown. The next drive, they go eight plays, and Damian Harris fumbles on – look, I thought it was a crappy call. I mean, I, I don't know – even on the All-22, it's not clear where he fumbles. To me, he – I don't know how you overrule the call in the field, but I'm, I'm not really, I'm not one to complain about officiating calls. Uh, before halftime, they do go nine plays, 42 yards, get in position for a field goal. Um, Jacoby Myers drops that pass. Yeah, that there was one, there was one defender there. I doubt that he scores, but I do think he gets inside, say the 15 yard line at least. And now you're talking about maybe they have a chance. Uh, there's plenty of time left. So I think there was like about 50 seconds left when that pass happened. So now you're talking about an opportunity to put up another touchdown. Um, 
they started horrible in the second half. There were about the, between two drives and Mac Jones's interception, which uh, which we'll get to. Um, they they had they they were just there was just terrible execution, but like five straight plays, and they still have those stretches, uh, which is disappointing. And also, uh, let's see. Oh, in the final drive where they uh, they run out the clock basically. Um, oh, they had a, they they did have a touchdown to beginning of the fourth quarter. Yep. And then and then they had the Ramondre Stevenson touchdown run called back because of illegal motion, which was just stupid. <laughs> and David Culley should have accepted the penalty. He should have just said, okay, they're scoring or else they're going to run out the clock. I don't know. He had a perfect opportunity to do that. And so you're talking about the Patriots could have scored in the 30s in this game. And even if it's against the Texans, I think that's progress and shows you that it's it's coming along. Offensive line uh, is the first thing I thought of when looking at this, when you sent it to me. We talked about it last week. I mean, I, I thought this game would be much closer than people gave it credit for as soon as I saw on Saturday that, yes, the Patriots would be four out of five offensive linemen out. I said, oh, boy, th this is going to be some heavy lifting. I thought it was a great job by the O-line, and I thought part of the McDaniels thing, and I'll get into McDaniels a little bit later because I thought that there were a few things that uh, really, really fell short uh, as far as what he's doing play-calling-wise. But we also have to give McDaniels credit for the big-picture game plan and making sure that he did not expose this offensive line. And yeah. so I thought the O-line and McDaniels understanding what he was given on Sunday – Mac Jones understanding that, hey, listen, you got to get rid of the football quickly today because you don't have the guys up front. I, I thought all of that put together, just the offensive line performance was much better than I anticipated. Yep, absolutely. I, I, I agree with you, and I kind of want to go through that a little bit more in depth um, in a little bit. Uh, but, you know, the number two thing for me that that I feel better about with the team after this uh, was the passing offense in general? I thought that there was a, I thought that there was a much better rhythm to it, and it really took home. And it, and it was an innocuous play where it was middle of the second quarter. There was ten thirty left. They faced a third and two. This is on the drive where they go down and Harris fumbles on the goal line. Uh, third and two. Mac Jones short middle to Jacoby Myers for seventeen yards. It was that. It was the passable. It was a little bit high to Jacoby Myers. He brings it down. Yep. Goes to the turf. So the pass was a little bit high. It wasn't the most accurate thing. But what I really liked on that play, watching it on the coach's film, was there was a really good rhythm to how Mac got back to his drop, the route that the receivers ran, not just Jacoby Myers, the blocking. Like, there, it was just – it looked better, Nick. And, and I don't know how much people, you know, know about – passing offense and things like that but in general you know the way I like to think of it is like if a well-schemed a well-timed a well-oiled passing machine is like you know it, it it's like an orchestra you know it's like an orchestra playing like a beautiful piece of music everybody's in tune everybody's on time everybody's you know just in lockstep you can have the greatest instrument players in the world and and if 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 they're not on time if 
they're not reading the play sheet right or the music sheet right. Like, it doesn't work. It sounds like crap. And so uh, the Patriots, for the first four and a half games this season, their passing offense, you know, they would have some nice sections, but for the large part, they sounded like crap as far as an orchestra. This is a game where there were times where they really started to make a lot better music, including, you know, Hunter Henry and 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 what he was able to do with Mac Jones. So I thought the the rhythm of the offense was better, and that's a that's a good sign for this team. The past yeah, McDaniel's told the media, I think it was yesterday, he came out and he said, Look, we're we're figuring out what we can do best, and we have a better mm-hmm. idea at what we can do better than some other things. And we're going to lean on some of those things more moving forward. And I think that goes hand in hand with what you just said. My second uh, thing that I felt better or good about was you just brought him up Hunter Henry. And and I thought this was obviously his best game, the touchdown route that he ran, the fact that he and Mac are on the same page, he showed up and he showed up big. And and if you get that from Henry and eventually slowly, but surely John Smith, which I want to get into a little bit later, but I thought Henry was really, really good. And that's the kind of game that you see, you go, okay, that's why we paid that guy the money. He paid dividends on Sunday for the Pats. Your third and final one, Greg. Uh, I'm going to steal from, you know, three up, three down later. And I'm going to go with, just to go to the other side of the ball, I'm going to go with Dante Hightower. Um, He Hmm. actually, he looked like, he looked like Dante Hightower in this game. Um, You know, was it perfect all the time? No. Uh, But it was pretty damn good. And I don't know what the difference was, Nick. I don't know. You know, I don't know if his groin or whatever is feeling better. Hmm. I don't know if he was maybe juiced a little bit by the Jamie Collins acquisition, thinking that no. you know maybe I'm maybe I'm being put out the pasture here. Maybe maybe I'm getting replaced because that was my first thought when they when they were when they got Collins. I was like, Hightower's not moving well. This might be for Collins. Then again, Kyle Van Noy's not moving well. So right <laughs> now it's for Kyle. It's going to be for Kyle Van Noy. Who the hell uh, but is I, out there? I know, but I th- I thought that what was great to see was Dante Hightower was taking on blockers physically in the middle of the line. You know, where the normal Dante Hightower sledgehammer shoulder, where he just levels it into him and stuns these big mooses in the middle, and then he goes and makes a tackle. And he also had a little bit of a burst going after ball carriers. So I was, it was surprising. It was a, it was a sea change from where he was the first four games, and. To me, that's that's a good sign for the Patriots. I'll be interested to see how he looks this week against a much faster Cowboys team, much more challenging offense. But at least for one week, I feel better about Dante Hightower. Uh, it was a tough weekend for kickers. I'll give Nick Folk some love because he made the kicks okay. mostly, and he also had a Maverick and Goose reference in his post-game press conference. So <laughs> he's my third guy. All right, let's talk about three things that we feel worse or at least the same about. Greg, you started. Uh, let's just say the secondary in general. I yep, mean, I I, I, <laughs> yeah, it was, there are various pieces of it that go into that. I thought, um, you know, first of all, the, the, t- I, was it a touchdown they scored? It was hard to, it was hard to remember because there were so many like broken plays in the secondary about the, the one on the sideline where look, JC Jackson was in perfect position. That was, that was like, a, that was an, a lucky play. I mean, yeah. You know, I don't want to call it like the Julio Jones play where it's like, how can you play better defense? Because that was actually talent and Matt Ryan dropping the ball there and Julio catching it before he went out of bounds. This was just 
Davis Mills throw, trying to throw a rocket where only his guy could maybe get it, and this guy snagged it. J.C. Jackson missed it. But Devin McCourty overpursued, and he had a bunch of plays like that in that game. But in general, you know, J.C. Jackson wasn't great in that game. You know, he had a defensive pass interference. He let up – he had a, you know, a stupid personal foul penalty at the end of the game, which was just stupid. Uh, you know, he gave up another slant. Um and, and we can put that into that this category is like, you know, <laughs> obviously the scouting report is out on the Patriots because everybody and their mother is throwing slants on the Patriots on third and fourth and short. Oh, God, convert, it's killing me. You know, but what was interesting, Nick, and I just remembered this was, you know, and maybe this is a larger topic for later, but, uh, you know, jo- Juwan Williams got benched in this game after that flea flicker for Miles Bryant. So remember what we talked about earlier in the year? I think it was the Dolphins game where I complained about how do you get down when they're playing the Dolphins and it's coming down to it and the Dolphins only have two receivers on the field, they have two tight ends, a running back, whatever, and I'm like, how are the cornerbacks, J.C. Jackson and Jalen Mills, how is Jonathan Jones not your second best corner in that spot? And guess what happened? After that flea flicker, Jonathan Jones now became the number two cornerback. Thank God. And Miles Bryant was number three, and he took over the slot for Jones. And look, I think it helped a little bit. So I think they I think they hit on something there. But, uh, yeah, the, the secondary in general was just not good. You could put Kyle Duggar in there, too, because he wasn't good in this game either. Trash, trash across the board for the most part. And I'll say this, too, about the fourth and short conversion on the slant. I I tweeted it at the time. You don't have to be a football rocket scientist. Like, outside leverage, you're playing off the guy. You're not on the line of scrimmage. It's like a fourth and two or whatever it is. That's an easy pitch and catch for quarterback receiver. And I'm at at least happy or content that the second time around, they played it much better. The second time around on a conversion attempt, Again, it was short yardage. They had, I think it was Jackson up at the line of scrimmage. He was playing a little bit more physical. He didn't allow the receiver inside. And that was much, much better. It was contested. It was deflected away. It was an incomplete pass. So at least they learned from the mistake early in the game and corrected it later in the game. But there's still no excuse. You know, week five to have that kind of approach defensively is just awful. Uh, I would say ball security is my second thing just because, yeah. you know, again, you've got the fumble. You know, I understand. I, I tend to agree with you. It was a really tough angle. Don't know how they overturned it. NFL officiating sucks. Maybe that's why. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the fumble near the goal line, the Mac Jones pick, uh, just ball security. You know, mistakes by this by this team and by this offense, you can't have it. This defense hasn't been as good as we expected it to be. The offensive line hasn't been as good as we expected it to be. You can't give the football away. In week one, you lost the game because of Harris's fumble. You could argue you could have possibly beaten Tampa if J.J. Taylor doesn't fumble the football. In this past weekend, you almost lost because of the fumble. Hold on to the damn ball. Just hold on to the ball. Ball security is driving me nuts. Yeah, and uh, you know what's interesting is that uh, I was talking to somebody around the Patriots the other day, and and I'll have my number two is ball security as well because I mean it's killing this team, Nick. You're absolutely right. I mean every game there's issues with it, and it's killing this team, and it hasn't been a problem in the past. And you know some of these guys you worry about their mental toughness. That's one thing that was always tried and true about this Patriots team is that the you you, you could never ever deny their mental toughness up and down the roster. 
And now, you know, you got to start to question that a little bit. But I, I was talking to somebody around the Patriots the other day, and we were talking about ball security. And it's it's even a topic within the team because, you know, I know that they work, at least in the practices that we're allowed to watch in training camp and things like that, they work on ball security every day. And that continues into the regular season from what I hear. And, and now there's, you know, the point where they're like, well, do we try something different? Like they're even, they don't even understand it. They're like, do we try something different? Do we not, you know, in theory, you know, when you, you're sitting around kick, kicking ideas around, you're going, well, do we do we not do it for a couple of days to see if that happens or for a week? Does it improve? Because it can't get any worse at this point. <laughs> and so it's, it's perplexing even to the team um, inside. And so I'll go, I'll move on to my number three things with this team that that worries me and uh i just had it in my mind and i just uh forgot it so why don't you go while i all right i'll throw i'll throw john o smith out there not that i'm worried about him uh just to kind of feel the same about him they're not getting him the football enough uh they're not they're not being you know as creative as i expected them to be early on They, they did finally put him in the backfield a few times but i just feel like they can make him a much bigger part of this game plan when you're running, you know, kind of like bubble screens to receivers inside the 20. I think you can run that to Janu in, in a little bit more and let him try to take over with his, you know, athleticism and explosiveness. He's just not showing up in the passing game nearly as much as I thought he was going to. I think they're, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, but I think they're, I think they're afraid of getting him too involved at this point. And they're not sure where he is mentally. And if you throw it to him, is it going to go is it going to go off his hands and go to the other team? You know, so you worry about, all right, am I going to, am I going to throw him a screen, you know, like a, a middle screen or something like that <clears throat> where there's more traffic. And so I do think that's part of the deal. I think that Fair they, point. they had a block a ton in this game and his Nick, his blocking has not been good either. I had him for three run stuffs in this game and that's a lot for, you know, a tight end who, who, who doesn't have to do it all the time. Uh, I remember my number three. My number three is Isaiah Wynn. And we'll get into – we'll talk a little bit more in depth about the offensive line since since Felger didn't let me do it um, yesterday. <laughs> and uh, this is my podcast, so there I can talk about the offensive line if I Stick want. Get that in your pipe and smoke it, Felgy. Yeah, eat it, Felger. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I think that this offensive line, they did play well. Josh McDaniels did make them look better than they probably are, especially James Ference, uh, who had another rough game. But, uh, you know, the guy's smart and he's tough. And I remember Dante Scarnecchia, you know, used to tell me, when you, uh, what are you looking for for an offensive lineman? And, you know, the number, the top two things that he wants is give me a, give me a smart guy and give me a tough guy. Everything else I can work with. And James Ference is like almost the personification of that. But back to Isaiah Wynn, I think he is a complete enigma within the team that I don't think they're very happy with him. This is a guy who they picked up his fifth-year option next year. Yep. I don't think they loved his off-season commitment. I don't think they've loved how he's come into the season and and think that was part of it. And I think that uh, some of the developments in the game, whether this you know, Haran or Kajust, who we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, I think that Isaiah Wynn is now on the spot. And he needs to pick it up or else I think I think the Patriots might try some other options uh, than Isaiah Wynn. So we'll have to monitor that. 
It feels like it's about that time. Speaking of about yep. that time, before we get more in-depth into the offensive line, Greg Bedard, tell the fine listeners of this podcast about BetUS. Yeah, listen up, sports bettors. This is Greg Bedard here to tell you about my favorite sports book, and that's BetUS. Football is back, and it's time to get in on the action. I only endorse one sports book, and that's BetUS.com. Why, you ask? Because BetUS has been America's favorite sports book for over 25 years. You need a sports book with integrity and loyalty, and you need to know that you're going to get paid. You need a sports book that offers everything, including live betting, MMA, golf, horses, esports, and all kinds of crazy stuff that Cattles tweets about and watches. Um, well, including... Fury, Fury versus Wilder last Saturday. I was going to say absolute epic. Okay, absolutely epic. Who was the Who was the favorite in that? Uh, Fury. Fury. Yeah. But Fury who got, ended up winning. Fury. He knocked out Wilder in like the eleventh. But Fury got knocked down a couple times, and so uh, he he got his bell rung a couple times. So it was a it was a perfect heavyweight slugfest kind of fight. It was fantastic. Wow. Good to know. Uh, (laughs) Nobody in the industry gives bigger bonuses than BetUS. Join now, check out the offers, and you can get up to 200% in bonuses on your first deposit. Nobody beats that. I bet at BetUS, and so should you. That's BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. Enter BSJ when you sign up at BetUS.com for a special bonus. BetUS.com, where the game begins. And by the way, just checking out my BetUS account and the Patriots are underdogs by four and a half points at the moment to the Cowboys this week, just to throw that out there. Yeah, there's been a little movement on that line. Uh, Dallas uh, Dallas is, uh, you know, laying more now than they were laying about 24, 36 hours ago. So keep an you eye know out. That there was, you know there was late movement on the line last week, too? Because hmm. So, you know, we did our pod, and I think I noted at the time that they, the Patriots were favored by nine. Right. And I go to do my uh, BSJ live coverage where, you know, I chat with the, the members and stuff like that and keep them updated during the game. And it was eight yeah. on Saturday night or Sunday morning. That's, that's a pretty big swing in about 24 hours, no? So, uh, interesting. Yeah, you have to look at maybe the offensive line news that came out. Speaking of the offensive line, Greg, you've been salivating for this moment to have a couple minutes to talk about the O-line and what you think the Patriots might do there. I know you just kind of touched on Isaiah Wynn. Where do you think we're headed for the fat guys up front? Yeah, well, um, Wynn Wynn needs to get his button gear. Um, That's number one because I think – I think the Patriots are running out of patience with the offensive line. I think that the Patriots, um, you know, the the offensive line got off to a slow start. And so I asked around the Patriots to find out, like, what's the deal? Like, is it is it the coaching? Is it Brasillo? Is he was it was Cole Popovich the magic sauce last year and he's not back on the coaching staff? And uh, everyone that I talked to said it's not the coaching. They all they they all put it on the players. They question some of the offseason work that some of the players have put in and think that they got themselves into this mess and they're going to have to get themselves out of it uh, or else they're not going to be playing. And so I think I think the number one most disappointing, and this goes for, so let's go with the starting unit. You have, you know, Trent Brown at right tackle just hasn't been healthy. I, I don't think anybody is questioning him on that, but uh they are counting on him to come back and be a big presence on this team. Yeah, they obviously didn't think they obviously didn't think that he was going to be out for as long as he has been because they could have put him on IR to begin with. They waited 
and now he's on IR. So it's like yeah. this, this seems like it's an injury where they thought they had it figured out. They thought it was more mild than it really is. Yeah, I thought that uh, from what I understand, he was close against uh, for Tampa. He was close to playing that week, but they said, you know, he wasn't quite ready. Let's wait a week. And then suddenly he doesn't do anything in practice and he's ruled out for the game and then he's put on IR. So he obviously had a setback, but they are counting on him to come back and be a force, especially in the running game. Um, Shaq Mason at right guard has has slid back. Um, two years ago, he had a poor season. Last year, he had a good season. This year, he's sort of middling, and that's not good enough. Andrews, um, you know, Andrews started off the season really strong. He has been slumping. I don't know the reason for that. Awenu, we've already seen him benched uh, in favor of Ted Karras, and then Isaiah Wynn, you know, we talked about. He's he's probably been the biggest disappointment on the line so far this year. Uh so that being said, we looked at the revamp. There was a revamped offensive line this week. There was Haran from the left, Karras, left guard, uh, Andrews, James Ferentz, and uh, and Yadni Kajust in his first real live game action um, after suffering through injuries. And it was it was better. It wasn't perfect. I mean, I think Ferentz was at was Ferentz at left guard. But anyways. Uh, Farron struggled. He just does, you know, he's not that, he's not that good, but he's a good guy to have in a pinch. And that's what they had the other day. Could just was, he had some rookie errors, Nick, but I got to tell you watching him on film, as far as the talent, it's pretty impressive. I mean, yeah. he has, he has vast potential. If he stays on the field, stays on the practice field, is able to get the reps. I mean, look, I don't think he's going to be an all-pro this season or a pro bowler. I don't even know if he's going to start for this team this year. But he has potential to be a starter, I think, at left or right tackle um, sometime soon if he keeps developing. And I, he, his feet were unbelievable. He, You can make the argument that he's one of the most athletic tackles that they've had in recent years. I think that you know, Nate Soldier was a pretty good athlete. I think that Kajust has better feet than he, he than, than Soldier did. Soldier's a little bit more powerful. But when I see Kajust out there, I see Michael Orr from the Ravens. I mean, that's wow. what he looks like to me. And Michael Orr was a, you know, Pro Bowl level right tackle. Uh, I think that Ted Karras did a lot for himself in this game. He even cooked up a couple pancakes. I love it. <laughs> Syrup on my pancakes in the morning. Um Steady Teddy was really good in this game, and you know that he's he's tough as hell. Um, not the most athletic guy, but I think he put himself in a mix. So I think with those two guys, and I think Haran did Haran did well in this game. He did much better for him. Um, so maybe he's a better left than he is a right. Yeah. I don't know. I was going to ask I you. I think that. that those. I think that those guys uh, could just Karras and Haran have now put some of the starters on notice. And, you know, when you're talking about when you're talking about Owenu, that if they don't get their butts in gear, if they don't raise up a level and play where they're supposed to be playing, then they're going to be put on the bench because the Patriots have other options now. All right, there's one thing I wanted to ask you about, actually two things quickly. They kind of go hand in hand. First of all, your thoughts on Josh McDaniels' play calling in the red zone 
and his play calling after the punt debacle by Houston. I still don't know what the hell that was about. But uh, McDaniels, I thought, you know, it's time to give Mac the keys in the red zone. It's time to, you know, allow your quarterback to do more. The, the three straight screen passes was absurd. There's just some of these calls, you know, running on first and second down and getting stuck in third and long and then running a, a simple play on third down that's not going to get you the first. I, I mean, there's some of these things. Again, big picture, I think McDaniels put this team and this offense in a position to succeed on Sunday. I just have issues with that red zone area, Greg, and some of these sudden changes of possession, the way he handles those. Yeah, I look, uh, watching the game back, um, I didn't have a huge problem with a lot of play calls, but that that one possession, the three straight screens in the red zone, yep, uh, it's unexplainable to me. And watching it on film back, I think that if I had to guess, I think that the first one was called. I think that Mac Jones checked into the second one, um, whether he's supposed to or not. I don't know. And the third one was we're now we're in third and long. I don't, I don't want James Ferentz to blow a block and all of a sudden we have a sack or intentional grounding penalty and we're out of field goal range. Um, so I, I understand that. I mean, for the most part, yeah, I, I do think. I do think I think the play calling was better considering in general what was going on in that team. Again, I've never seen three straight screen passes called in the red zone ever in the NFL. Uh, so I vehemently disagree with that, and I hated that. But I thought overall it was pretty good, and I think that if they cashed in, or you know, they get the if Harris doesn't fumble, if the Ramondre Stevenson touchdown stands, all of a sudden I think you're looking at a situation where they're almost like four or five in the red zone and it's much better. And so I thought there was a little bit of progress, like the offense in general, Nick, as far as the play calling went. Uh, but it wasn't, everybody can be better, I guess would be my point on the offense. Give me a Mac minute. We haven't talked a lot about Mac Jones. Yeah. But give me a Mac minute. Uh, I thought Mac was pretty good in this game. I, I think that some of his near interceptions were, um, were the fault or of the receivers not exactly running routes right or them not seeing it the same way, including his interception, um, which I didn't love. But, you know, watching it back and forth a bunch of times, I think that Nelson Aguilar didn't run that route rat, right. I think that, you know, Nelson went up and then broke to the outside. And I think the way Mac threw it, and again, it could have been inaccurate, but the way he threw it was he read it as Nelson Aguilar is supposed to go up and come straight back towards Mac to the ball. All right. I think if he does that, then, then it's okay. I think that I do think that Mac Jones, he's starting to get into a little bit of habit, which I don't love Nick of somebody's barreling in towards him. And he's just trying to get rid of the ball and throws it in the track at traffic. I don't like that. That's those are rookie throws. He needs to, go beyond that i think that sometimes mac jones uh tries to complete too many balls where you know sometimes he would be better off just throwing the ball out of bounds or throwing it in the turf before wide receiver and just you know so there maybe isn't a tip pass i think that look he's completing like what like 75 percent of his passes he could stand two or three incompletions more a game 
where he's just being just move on to the next down. It didn't work for anybody. The receivers running the wrong route, whatever. Just throw it in the dirt, move on. Uh, I thought his Hunter Henry throw to the corner of the end zone was a spectacular play by Hunter Henry and Mac Jones. A dime. Yeah, they they both on that play, they both had to read the cornerback, and it yep. was a last minute decision, and that's why Mac didn't have a ton of heat on it. He basically had to he had to see Hunter Henry all of a sudden out leverage the cornerback to the sideline. And then he just had to get rid of it because if he held on to it, it wouldn't have been completely, it would have been out of bounds. Uh, you know, the teardrop throw was the right throw that you couldn't really throw it with a howitzer there. I don't know if it's completed. So I thought that was great, but I thought Mac was pretty good in this game. I just, there's, there's about two or three plays each game where you just want them to make better decisions. But that's right in the wheelhouse of a rookie quarterback in this fifth game. And right. so I'm good where he I'm completely good where he's at, and so are the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, I think he's fine. I think he's arguably the most consistent player on this football team, along with maybe a couple of other guys uh, like Judon. I think he's been steady, given his situation, given the circumstances. I don't think there's much to bitch about with Mac Jones, frankly, I think he's been by far the best rookie quarterback in the league. And yes, that has some to do with the circumstances surrounding him, but I think overall he's been good. All right. Lightning round type of three up, three down from you, uh, Greg, let's start with uh, three up uh, your first guy you want to mention. Matthew Judon. And yeah. uh, I thought he was great in this game. He's, he's the only playmaker up front. Um, I think that, uh, and I'll just go through it. Ted Karras was my number two. I thought he was great. Had a couple of pancakes. Love to see that. Steady Teddy. And yep, Steady Teddy. And uh, number three, I went with Hightower. I, you know, like for the reasons we talked about earlier, I think that he looked like his old self. Hopefully, this is a sign of things to come. I do worry a little bit about him being exposed against the Cowboys with the, all that speed and all those weapons. And and if he's going to be on the field, that could be an issue. But for this week, I'm good with Dante Hightower. I had Judah on the O-line, and again, Hunter Henry, I talked about him earlier. You're three down. Uh, Devin McCourty was number one. Yep. Uh, completely out of characteristic for him. You're hoping that this was just a really bad day at the office, which everybody has, uh, instead of, you know, the proverbial uh, Matt, Keller, uh, Matt Kellerman Cliff, Memorial Cliff. You hope it's not that. Um so I, you know, McCordy had a rough one. Yeah, McCordy. Oh, I'll, I'll keep going. James yeah. Ference. He just, he is who he is. He's not very good. And Kyle Duggar is just, you know, he had a rough game. I had him for five minus plays in this game. You know, a third down pass coverage. He gave up a touchdown. He, you know, he didn't, he didn't play a screen, two screens really well. He's just. You could just tell he's thinking too much, and you just want to get Kyle Duggar to the point because his skills are just unbelievable that he gets to the point where he just is able to play and play fast and recognizes routes and busts on them and breaks them up. But right now, he's just still not there. Yeah, overthinking, overthinking a little yep. bit. Uh, one more guy I'd throw in there is Joan. He is Joan Williams was terrible. Yep. Uh, let's get to the uh, BostonSportsChannel.com <laughs> member question of the day. $39.99 for their annual plan. Top-notch analysis of all the Boston Pro Sports. You're Pat's junkie, and if you're listening to this, of course you are. Uh, you get a ton of video analysis from Bedard on the coach's film. 
and direct access to him in weekly chats. Again, it's $39.99, bostonsportsjournal.com. Member question of the day, Greg. So this one's from Mike uh, JMCPA. I think this is um, I think this is one of my high school buddies' dad's uh, questions, and he asked Greg regarding your story on Coach Bill Belichick, and he's referencing my column from Sunday about how uh, I think the Patriots got into this r- roster mess because they stopped having succession plans at certain positions and just kept retaining their older, slower, more expensive guys. And, and, you know, whether, you know, just look at slot receiver, you know, for example, or having to bring back James White, where, you know, you've had guys like Shane Vereen before, where it's like, all right, Shane Vereen's done. His contract's up now. James White is up. That that sort of thing at multiple spots. And you worry about Devin McCourty and Dante Hightower, them not having succession plans there now, uh, which, you know, could be the reason why they're old and slow on defense. But anyways, he says, uh, regarding that column, uh, Coach Belichick only wanting to coach people he likes. And I said that could be one of the reasons. It sort of coincides when we heard from Urban Meyer that Bill Belichick said, at this point in my coaching career, I only want to coach guys that I like. Yep. He says, do you think the retirements of Ernie and Skarnecchia may have had an influence on the change in his outlook, which you hypothesized? Uh, I do not. I I, I don't think that the, they're too, the two are related. I think that... You know, Ernie just retired last year. Yeah. And Scar, you know, they, it, they've gone through this before. I don't I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think the, while, you know, they miss that institutional knowledge, you know, for sure they do. I, I don't think that's the issue. I just think that, and, and I don't know the reason why. I do think that Bill has gotten a little bit more you know, comfortable in his later years as a coach. He's no longer the hard ass that he, you know, used to be. He doesn't kill everybody on contracts and, and he's just different. Practices aren't the same. He's just different. But I think that, and I think that's the reason for it, that Bill just at this point in his career, you know, he doesn't want to go through a lot of the headaches. He just wants to be able to concentrate on coaching his team and not having to deal with difficult personalities or, you know, guys that can't be coached up. He just wants to coach guys that that take his coaching and are tough and are going to execute what they're told. And for the most part, that's really worked well for the Patriots, and that might work well for them very soon. And I think it will in the second half of the season. But the past couple of years, past about you know almost two full seasons, it hasn't worked, worked very well. Well, hopefully it works from this Sunday. Big challenge coming up. Dallas yep. comes to town. Uh, Dallas is, you know, four and one. They are by far the best team in the NFC East. I think that says more about the division than the team. <laughs> uh, that division sucks, but they are the best team in that division. I was talking to Keyshawn Johnson this week on my show, and, you know, Key thinks that they are the best team in the NFC. Take that for what it's worth. I would not go that far just yet, but he thinks that they're uh, really, really good. And it's going to be a 425 kick, one of those, you know, primetime kind of Sunday games. Big time challenge, Dak Prescott and company, a lot of offense. That offensive line is playing great for Dallas. So uh, a lot of challenges coming up on Sunday. Greg and I will break all of that down on the next Greg Bedard podcast with Nick Cattles, which is always brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book for over 25 years. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the week.